You're listening to a teaching series by Cross Culture Church of Christ. If you'd like any more information about our church, head to crossculture.net.au. Feel free to share this podcast with others, but please don't alter the content in any way. We hope you enjoy it. great week we had with our global missions convention over the last week. I hope you were challenged and inspired uh, to align our hearts with God's heart in mission. Uh, Who knows whether we'll be able to meet face to face next year, but we do have a great speaker lined up. Uh, It's James Taylor, the fourth. Uh, James Taylor, as well as being a a well-known missionary in his own right, uh, is the great great grandson of James Hudson Taylor the founder of the China Inland Mission, who about 100 years ago, uh, that mission was responsible for evangelising a fair bit of uh, inland China. And Hudson has left a great legacy which has filtered down through the generations, the legacy of having a deep love and concern uh, for the lost. Uh, Every family has its way of doing things, its ethos, uh, its focus, for good or ill, usually a combination of both, uh, if you've had any experience of your family. Uh, Often at the centre of the family, there's a person uh, who sort of epitomises what the family is about, maybe a grandma or grandpa or someone like Hudson Taylor uh, in the Taylor family. Uh, And that person often influences a lot what the family does. Uh, I've been to so many weddings where it becomes apparent that uh, it's really important, a lot hinges on whether or not that person uh, gives their blessing uh, to the couple as they join together. Well, what about God's family? Uh, what's at the centre of God's family? Uh, who determines the ethos, the, the way we do things uh, here in the church, in the body of Christ? Well, this is what this letter of 1 John is about. Uh, the relationships in the family of God. Uh, every believer to God, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and believers uh, with one another in fellowship uh, with one another. Uh, This is uh, really important uh, because this family is the most important. It's the forever family. It's going to go on forever and ever. Yes, it has lots of imperfections, uh, but one day God will make us perfect like his beloved son and we will enjoy uh, unfettered fellowship with him uh, and with one another forever. Uh, That's what this letter is about. It's about the relationships Uh, in God's family, the relationships of uh, every believer to God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, but also the relationships of us uh, with one another. It's very interesting. Two out of every three verses in this whole letter uh, refer to God. So God, of course, is very central. Uh, This is important because this is the most important family ever. Uh, It's the best ever and it's going to last forever. Uh, Yes, it has lots of imperfections, mostly caused by you and me, Uh, but God is going to make us perfect and we will enjoy unfettered fellowship with him uh, and with one another uh, eternally. Uh, So that's why John's writing this letter, to help us uh, in living together uh, as his family. That's the title for this series, Living in God's Family. We'll be digging into it for 12 weeks in two six-week blocks We'll have six weeks in between where we address the issue of suffering uh, as we look at the book of Job in the Old Testament. Uh, So please engage with this. There are studies available on the website. 
uh, for you to do personally or in your life group. That's the best way to do it uh, so that we can really get the most out of what John's saying here. So here's what the next six weeks looks like. It's a new family, an honest family, an obedient family, an authentic family, a unique family, a persevering family. This is what we're going to go through as we dig into these first two chapters. Uh, Before we get to that, let's look at the background to this letter. Uh, John, uh, the apostle, is the same one who wrote the Gospel of John. Uh, He's one of Jesus' closest disciples, uh, if not the closest. And he uh, is an old man by this stage. The early church has been uh, up and running for 50 years. uh, And heresy has started to rear its ugly head. And and so John is uh, tackling a form of heresy called Gnosticism, an early form of that. Uh, It's becoming fashionable by then. At least that's what we think it is. It's pretty hard to work it out, actually, because John doesn't spend a lot of time uh, telling us about the false teaching. He spends most of his time telling us about the truth uh, and bringing us back to that and focusing on Jesus and who he is. Uh, We know that these people, uh, who John calls the Antichrist later in his letter, uh, were people who had a very defective view of Jesus uh, and because of that had a wrong view of how people get right with God. Uh, So right up front, John sets down the basics. Uh, So there are two points today in your outline. Uh, The centre of God's family and the blessings that flow uh, from focusing on this centre. So firstly in verses 1 and 2, the centre of God's family. Uh, John's letter starts in an unusual way. There's no greetings, nothing like that. In fact, his name doesn't even appear there. Uh, But he does put what's important right up front. In the Greek language... Uh, you can emphasise something by putting it first in the sentence. You can put it wherever you like. And if you put it up front, you're telling people, this is really important. And so we can tell by his opening sentence what he believes to be very, very important. By the way, verses 1 to 3 are just one sentence. And we know from reading that that it has to do with a person, the word of life. Uh, At the centre of Christianity, there's not a, a, a code of conduct, an ethic, a tradition... At the centre of Christianity is a person, Jesus Christ, uh, a dynamic person, a real person. And he, of course, is the beginning, the middle and the end uh, of our faith. If you take him out, you've got nothing, uh, just an empty shell. And if you personally have not got hold of this person, if you're not in a relationship with Jesus, uh, then you don't have the real thing. Um, And John is very keen to put that right up front uh, in the beginning. Uh, Because the false teachers uh, had a weakened view of Jesus, an emasculated being who was an impersonal uh, emanation of God. Uh, In fact, they denied the faith by taking the real Jesus out of it. You can't do that. You take him out and there's nothing left. So what does he say about Jesus? Firstly, that Jesus is eternal and that he is real in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, we've looked upon, have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. So begins by saying that which was from the beginning. Uh, John in his gospel begins in a similar way and he leaves us in no doubt that this word of life that he refers to here is Jesus. He came and he lived among us. And uh, the word of life and the Logos and Jesus, they are inseparable. The person of Jesus and the message of Jesus are inseparable. You cannot access the one without the other. They're bound up together. 
And John is saying here that Jesus was there uh, at the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God and the Word was God, as he says in his Gospel. Uh, friends, we throw the word forever uh, around fairly casually these days uh, in the devastating tragedy that happened last week when we lost four of our police. Uh, one of the headlines in the paper following our leaders uh, said that these four uh, will be remembered forever. It's a great sentiment, isn't it? Uh, and we wish it uh, will be true. Uh, but with the passage of time, uh, sadly, like the rest of us, uh, they will slip from people's minds and hearts. Uh, but that's not how God uses the word forever or eternal. He means forever. And when he says that Jesus was there from forever in past, eternity past, he means it. Uh, the heretics, of course, were saying, well, Jesus was just a man. He was born, he lived and he died like anyone else. Uh, but John says in his opening phrase, no, he's there at the beginning of time. He is eternally uh, pre-existing. And so was the plan, uh, the word of life that rescues us. So John, as one of the remaining eyewitnesses to Jesus at the end of the first century, gives the evidence. He lays it out clearly. Four things. He said, we heard, we saw, we looked and we touched. He puts first things first, that he heard Jesus. Uh, this person who's at the centre of everything spoke. And he, John says, we heard him. He was a man with a message. And the message was clear. This is important, isn't it? Because these false teachers were coming up with all sorts of speculations, um, secret knowledge that they said uh, they had. Uh, by the way, this is one of the characteristics of the cults. They will tell you uh, that they have secret knowledge that unlocks the Bible. Uh, recently, a friend of mine was approached by a cult recruiter uh, he began by saying, have you heard of the five secrets of the Gospels? Um, and uh, that, that there are two cults who are actively recruiting in Melbourne at the moment, Shinshonji and Eastern Lightning. Shinshonji, uh, that Korean cult, uh, claim that their founder, Lee, is Jesus Christ returned uh, and that the Bible is written in a kind of secret code, which, of course, only Lee uh, can interpret it. Um, friends... Whenever you hear that kind of thing, uh, you, you need to remind yourself of what John says here. Uh, Christians stick with the revealed message that the apostles heard from Jesus with their own ears and they recorded it for us. It's not a secret. It's there for all to read in the pages of the New Testament. So they heard it. Uh, they seen with their eyes, not in some dream or hallucination, or, but with their own eyes. Uh, furthermore, they looked upon, uh, not just saw him, but they had time to interact with him uh, and consider who he is. And they touched him. Uh, they touched the risen Christ. Uh, so they know the reality of his incarnation, his life, his death uh, and his resurrection. Uh, so John said the reality of God coming in the flesh is history. It's history that he's personally seen and touched. Now, why is John hammering this so hard? Uh, because he wants people to know the truth that he experienced. Uh, because others who didn't personally know Jesus were coming along and saying all sorts of other rubbish. And John knows that the 
the foundation of our faith is grounded in history. And he also knows that if that history isn't reality, then Christianity is a useless deception. As the opponents of Christ, of course, have long recognised this and they've worked night and day to try and prove that Jesus never existed uh, or that he was a figment of the disciples' imagination. Uh, I thank God for people like the Centre for Public Christianity who've done a lot of work in publishing material and interacting with our community about the historicity uh, of Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, John Dixon, one of the founders of that organisation, has a standing challenge that if anybody uh, can find an academic historian with a PhD who will say that Jesus never existed, he will eat a page of his New Testament. Uh, so far, no one has been able to come up with such a person uh, because the historical evidence, uh, not just uh, from the New Testament but elsewhere, is overwhelming. And the testimony from those who knew him best, including John here, is that he is God come in the flesh. Uh, so that's the first thing. Secondly, John says he's been made known and that he is eternal life in verse 2. The life was made manifest We've seen it, testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Our friends, the reality of history will not help us unless we understand who Jesus is. And John here says he is eternal life. It's an interesting way to describe Jesus, isn't it? Eternal life. Again, it's not some dead system like the other religions of the time and since. Uh, it's life. Uh, Jesus himself is eternal life, the word of life. He existed from the beginning and he will go on forever. But also he's the one who gives eternal life, who is eternal life. It's only available through him. Uh, others like Muhammad and Buddha and the Hindu gurus and pundits uh, try to point the way to eternal life, to life. But Jesus says, I'm it. I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. It's a stupendous claim and John affirms it as one who himself has received that life. Now this eternal life has been made manifest, he says. In the import-export industry there's a thing called a manifest. It's a detailed list of everything in a shipment that crosses a border and nothing can be cleared until customs gets this and verifies it. Uh, an aircraft manifest lists the passengers. Here's an example, uh, the one from the ill-fated MH370. Now, flights are often delayed, actually, as this manifest is finalised and matched up with reality of who's on the plane. When Jesus came, when he crossed the border between heaven and earth and entered our world, uh, he was made manifest. It was clear to those who knew him uh, that he was no ordinary man. Uh, as they heard him, his incredible teaching, they recognised he was one who had the authority of God. Uh, as they saw him, uh, they saw the miracles that he did and the compassion that he showed. Uh, as they considered him and looked upon him, they began to understand that he came to seek and to save the lost and to give his life a ransom for many, as he said. And as they touched him after he rose from the dead, it became clear what freight was in that consignment from heaven. Eternal life itself. What he said was true, that he came to give his life for sinners 
and that he would rise from the dead. The whole thing was made manifest, made clear. Not just to John and his friends, uh, but it was to everyone. And that's why John is testifying and proclaiming this. So that's who is at the centre of this family. It's Jesus, God come in the flesh, the God-man, eternal life. And being in this family and being part of Jesus, being part of God's family, brings great blessings. And there are two, of, two that are mentioned here. Uh, the, this is point two on your outline, the blessings of having Jesus at the centre. Firstly, there's fellowship with God, with Jesus and the apostles. John says, so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The wonderful blessing of what Jesus has done is that they have fellowship with God himself through this real Jesus. And so can the readers and so can you and me. Uh, so John tells us that this is the purpose, to know God, uh, to have fellowship, to have friendship with God through Jesus. And what a wonderful thing that is, that people like you and me, who have followed in the footsteps of Adam and Eve when in that garden they made that tragic decision that instead of listening to God, that they themselves would become uh, the independent arbiters of what is right and wrong. And they shattered that fellowship that they had with God, uh, where they would walk and talk with God in the cool of the evening in that perfect garden. Now here John is saying that it's possible to reclaim that relationship with God, that intimate relationship with God, that fellowship with God. And what a wonderful thing that is, that the alienation between us and God through our wrong choices can be over, can be done with. And let me plead with you, if you don't know God, uh, this is available to you, that you, through Christ, through confessing your sins, through giving up your autonomy from God and coming to him and trusting what Jesus has done on the cross, you can be in a relationship with him. But there's more here. It's not just fellowship with God, but with Jesus and with uh, the apostles, or with the apostle John here in this case. Well, before we go any further, we better ask the question, what does this word fellowship mean? I think mostly we think of fellowship as that warm kind of feeling you get when you have a really good conversation with a brother or sister in Christ, maybe after church or at life group, and it's really encouraging. Um, and, of course, that's part of it, but it's way deeper than that. In fact, in the New Testament times, it was quite an earthy concept. Uh, it was about... It was a business term that described a partnership that people had where they pooled their resources uh, to achieve a common purpose. Uh, for example, uh, a bunch of people might... Uh, choose to start a fishing business. So they pull their resources, maybe buy a boat or build one together, uh, and then they do all the hard work of, of, of going fishing and sometimes all night, we're told in the New Testament, battling with storms, uh, getting the catch, cleaning it, marketing it, and all of that. And now, John himself knew what this was about because he was in such a partnership with his brother James and his father Zebedee when Jesus called him. And he knew very well what it meant to throw all your resources at achieving a common goal. It's all about throwing everything you are and everything you have into achieving that purpose. Um, and that's what fellowship with God and Jesus and the apostles is like, actually. They're using that term to describe 
our relationships. Uh, it's about investing all that you have and all that you are uh, in our relationship with God and in achieving his purposes. Now, the apostles knew what this was all about. Uh, the apostle John, uh, as far as we know, was the only one who didn't die uh, as a result of proclaiming Jesus, the rest of them gave their lives. They gave everything uh, for the purpose of proclaiming Christ uh, to those around them. That's how heavily invested they were in this fellowship. And that's what it meant to them. And it's an amazing thing, isn't it? I, I, I know from my own experience, wherever you go in the world, where you meet people who are invested in this partnership, there's immediately a bond uh, with them. Uh, that's about our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. And friends, this is what we were made for. We were actually made to work in partnership with God uh, to achieve his good purposes. Uh, that's how Adam and Eve experienced their close fellowship with God uh, in the garden. And it's the most fulfilling thing that any human being can do, uh, being in partnership with our creator, because that's what we were made for. So that's the first blessing, fellowship with God. The second uh, is complete joy. Uh, John says we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Uh, John again is echoing some words of Jesus here. Jesus wanted his followers to have joy. He says it quite a few times, that, that deep-seated contentment that comes from being in partnership with God, with Jesus uh, and with one another. In John 15... Uh, Jesus says this joy is to be found in abiding in him, sticking close to him uh, as our vine, the one who sustains us, the one who makes us fruitful uh, in our partnership with him. He says, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And for John and for any believer who proclaims Jesus, it's an incredible joy, isn't it, when people uh, come into that partnership when they believe in Jesus when they're forgiven and they go on uh, to love and to serve him some later manuscripts have your joy rather than our joy uh, and of course both are true aren't they it's an incredibly joyous experience uh, to come into relationship with God to have your sins forgiven and to come into partnership with him uh, I remember when that happened to me when the, the burden of the guilt of my sins was lifted and I came into, into a guilt-free fellowship with God and, and uh, I experienced that amazing fellowship with other people who had experienced the same thing. It was so encouraging. Uh, the closer we get, of course, to this centre of God's family, the more we focus on Jesus, uh, like the spokes of a wheel, the closer uh, we get to one another. And we're going to talk more about that in coming weeks, the love uh, that exists between, between Christians and that love that we need to work on growing. Now, friends, let me encourage you as we conclude. Firstly, though, if you haven't yet turned to Jesus and had your sins forgiven, uh, please do it. It's very simple. Just tell him you're really sorry for ignoring him, uh, for making yourself the centre of everything, and that you want to make him the centre of everything. You want to trust what Jesus did on the cross uh, to deal with your sins, and you want to trust yourself to him that you want to throw everything into this new partnership with God and his people. Uh, you will not regret doing that. And friends, let's all of us live with Jesus, the real Jesus, uh, at 
the centre of our lives, the real Jesus of the New Testament. Loving him, loving one another, and uh, whoever God sends along uh, to join us uh, in our little local gathering of his people. Uh, let's live this real meaning of fellowship with God uh, and with one another as we totally commit ourselves uh, to being in partnership with him uh, to achieve his great purposes together. And friends, let's enjoy these great blessings of having Christ at the centre of our family. Fellowship with God, fellowship with him, a fellowship with the apostles who gave us this message and fellowship with one another to bring about God's great purposes to bring everything under the Lord Jesus. Uh, friends, let's pray uh, and ask for God's help with that. I'm going to leave a little space for us to personally uh, respond to God uh, with what he's challenged us with this morning and then I'll lead us in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much uh, that you are the centre of our family. And we thank you that you came to this earth uh, to live the life that we couldn't live and didn't live or refused to live uh, and that you died the death that we deserve to live. And we thank you that uh, you rose from the dead, that you are now at the right hand of the Father. Uh, Lord, please help us to understand uh, the gravity of these things. Uh, help us, Lord, to live in fellowship with you, and not superficial relationship, but a deep partnership with you where we are totally committed and invested to bring about your purposes, uh, both now and in eternity. Uh, we thank you so much for the blessings of being in fellowship with you. Thank you for the joy uh, that we experience uh, because of what you have done for us. Uh, Lord, please help us to enjoy these blessings and to live in the light of their reality. And we pray it for your sake. Amen.